This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. This is the Learn Jazz Standards Podcast, episode 65. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. All right, what's up, everybody? Brent here, the jazz musician behind LearnJazzStandards.com, and you're listening to another episode of the LJS Podcast. I'm super glad you're here listening, especially those that are regular listeners. I really appreciate you coming week after week, and a warm welcome to those listening for the first time. I know you're going to get a lot of value out of the show. The show's all about helping you become a better jazz musician, and if you've been listening to the show for a while, as you know, I like to have a special guest on whenever I can because they offer a different perspective. They offer a certain kind of expertise. And in this week's episode 65, we're talking about how to create killer jazz solos by thinking like a composer. And I've got a really special guest on the show today. He is a Downbeat Magazine Award winner and a three-time recipient of the ASCAP Young Jazz Composers Award. His music has been featured in films and advertisements by CNN, NASA, Visa, Intel City Group, many different companies. This is Jeff Schneider, pianist, saxophonist, and composer. You can check him out at jeffschneidermusic.com. His last name is S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R. And we'll have the link to his website on the show notes today at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 6565. So be sure to check that out there. But before we get started and get Jeff on the line, I just want to say, as I always do, if you'd like to give back to this show because you get value out of it, be sure to go to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. That just really helps other people find this show. We super appreciate it in advance. Really thank you for all that help. All right, now without further ado, let's get Jeff Schneider on to talk about building awesome jazz solos by thinking like a composer. Here we go. All right, welcoming on the show today is pianist and composer and saxophonist Jeff Schneider. Jeff, thanks for being on the show today, man. Thanks for having me, Brent. Good to be here. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so you know, a lot of my listeners right now, they probably don't know who you are. So why don't you give us the uh, two-minute Who is Jeff Schneider bio? Okay, well, uh, I, I do many things at the moment. I, as you said, I'm a composer. I also play saxophone and piano and a couple other things and produce a lot of tracks. But um, you know, for the most part, I am I am composing music for film advertising and television, as well as uh, producing beats and that sort of stuff. Uh, teaching oh, how to, how I do all of that online. Uh, so I, I have a YouTube channel where I make a bunch of instructional videos, kind of breaking down some of the more advanced things that I do. So it's it's accessible for everyone out there who who wants to who wants to learn, 
And um, yeah, what, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm teaching a bunch and my philosophy there really is, you know, if anybody wants to work hard, I believe that they can learn the stuff that I do because I think yeah. a lot of people watch the, uh, the music that I make and, and kind of watch the way that I make it and, and think it's really kind of out of their league. But I, I'm, I'm convinced that it's possible for anybody to get it, get it down. And I say that because when I was coming up learning how to play the saxophone, you know, it wasn't until I really started to practice a lot that I actually mm. noticed that I was getting better and making any progress. Uh, up until that point, you know, I was just kind of like being, being pretty much idle and not uh, showing too much improvement. But once I really started to work, that's when, uh, that's when all the good stuff started to happen. Amazing. So what, what kind of stuff have you done? Uh, you've said you're in commercials and stuff. What kind of uh, companies have you worked for? Yeah, so I've, I've worked for everything from everybody from NASA to CNN to uh, American Express and BET. I mean, really all over the place, Gatorade. Uh, so it's been really interesting because when I'm composing for those ki- kinds of jobs, it's music in all different genres. So everything right. from really commercial stuff, you know, stuff you'd hear like jingly type of things, and then background music and hip-hop beats. I mean, it's, it's all over the place, which makes it really interesting and a lot of fun to work on. Now, you have a really strong background in jazz. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about uh, maybe if you had any formal training or what kind of your history with that is as a jazz musician. Yeah, so I, I actually started on piano, not necessarily with jazz, but I started learning piano by ear, which was kind of like a great um, a great sort of setup for my jazz education oh, yeah. because, you know, as you know, so much of playing jazz and really all music is, is uh, an ear-based practice. But um, once I started playing saxophone in in middle school, that's when I really got interested into sort of the classic big band recordings like Glenn Miller. And then I got hit to like Charlie Parker in high school. And that's when I started studying with uh, this amazing saxophonist out of New York City uh, named Will Vinson, who still Mm. plays. Yeah, Will. Oh, my God. Will Vinson. Yeah, yeah. that's ridiculous. So he really like set me off on, you know, he showed me what was up like who to check out, what they were doing, how to practice, all that good stuff. And then, you know, as I said before, that's kind of when I really started to practice and, and start, make some, start making some progress. Um, from there, you know, I, I did uh, the Manhattan School of Music uh, prep mm-hmm. school in high school. And then I went on to New England Conservatory for my jazz performance degree. And then I did a, a composition and arranging cor- uh, master's degree at UMass Amherst. So... It's been a, I've been I've been in school for a while, but uh, I'm out of it now, and now I'm just trying to pay it forward and, and kind of show everybody what I've learned along the way. Amazing, and so that just goes to show that you are more than qualified to talk about uh, today's topic, which I'm super excited to have you on to talk about today, which is which is essentially how to improvise compositionally, how to think about building our jazz solos or our improvisation. Uh, thinking like a composer, and you're obviously uh, just an amazing composer and an amazing musician. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. And I want to start by uh, just asking you, what do you think uh, makes a great solo? You know, maybe structurally, maybe emotionally, what in your mind makes uh, a really exceptional solo? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a tough question because it's it's yeah. really subjective. But um, sure. to me... I think a great solo is is one that that takes you somewhere. It's one that you kind of get wrapped into as a listener. Uh, 
And if if you ever find yourself listening to a solo and you you kind of tune out, I think that's sort of the uh, the opposite of what a great solo might be. Similar to if you were listening to somebody speak, like a you know doing a speech or a presentation or something, and you tune out from that. If you if you're not following along and you 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 lose your attention, then you know someone someone wasn't ideal with their presentation or their speech. And I think the same goes true for a jazz solo or any kind of solo. Um, but as I said, it's very subjective. So what might keep somebody's attention is different from uh, another person. Uh, all that being said, for me again, it's taking somebody on a journey. It's creating something that's not just random notes, but something that's really concrete and mm-hmm. and melodic in a way and and contains all the elements that a great composition would contain. So on that note, what's your approach to composition outside of soloing perhaps? Uh, you know, if you're sitting down to write a piece for uh for a project or something like that. Mhm. Well, I think the the most important thing is melody. And I can't mm-hmm. state that enough. I mean, it sounds kind of obvious, but it's something that gets forgotten. And it, the same is true for even if you're just writing a chord progression. If you're writing a chord progression and you're you're playing chords on a on a piano or on guitar or arranging for an orchestra, and it's just chords, there's still a melody there, and and you can yeah. just say, oh, it's the top voice of each of those chords. But it's important because that has to do with voice leading and and uh, and how the chord progression sounds. Because you can play the same chord progression two different ways and have them sound very different. So that top note, that top voice, which leads the melodic line is so important and if you are actually playing a melody or composing a melody you know to to construct something that makes sense that has balance you know there's so many techniques that go into making a good melody that we can get into but i think the number one thing to keep in mind for composing is to not lose sight of what is happening melodically Right. So so now when we come to improvising with this stuff, how do we improvise melodies? Because, you know, like they say, improvising is kind of like composing sped up, right? You know, you're you're doing it on the spot. You're uh, just you're flowing with wherever the music is going. How do we get to this point where we're able just to improvise really great melodies? Yeah, that's uh, that's the challenge, right? It's um, and, and I think you're absolutely right about the uh, thinking about improvising as just sped up composition or spontaneous composition. And I think the the trick is first you have to not put yourself in in the moment for for a second and slow down and see if you can actually just compose a melody. Like if you can't if you can't compose a folk song, like a very simple kind of a folky nursery rhyme type of a tune, then it's going to be really hard to do that on the spot on like a on a bebop solo or something. You know, oh, that's when you're point. in the moment. So to kind of stop things and slow down and, and just make sure you can do some very basic composition is, is super important because that's, you know, as, as you said, that's what uh, improvising is. It's, it's that sped up composition. So if you're not thinking about it in that way, I think that's going to, that's going to hold, hold you back in terms of getting your, your solos to actually sound like they could be considered compositions, which I think is ideal. Yeah. So, so that idea of, I, I thought that was really interesting. You just said, if you can't, uh, improvise, you know, a, a folk a folk tune, or like a folk melody. You can't improvise, like you know, some crazy bebop solo or something like that. Is there a, a place you would? Is there like a project or or like something that listeners today could take away and and work on specific to that? Like uh, maybe a call to action. For sure, I I think that 
giving yourself an assignment to write a folk song can be extremely effective. And the way to do that, I would say, is to sing something. Because when you sing something, you're going to have the most direct connection to whatever it is you're hearing. One of the, one of the problems that happens a lot with instrumentalists in, in improvisation is how easy it is to just put your fingers down on the instrument and the notes come out. And when you're singing, you you are having that direct connection to what you're actually hearing versus just mm-hmm. pressing your fingers down and kind of, you know, hoping that the notes that you play sound good. So the first right. step I would say is to sing just a, to make up a folk song that and, and sing something that you you might be able to get uh, you know, a, a five-year-old to remember. I think that's a good approach. You want to create something that a child could sing back to you. And that's going to help you keep it simple. That's a big, big takeaway right there, keeping it simple. Because if you're playing or you're making up something that's really complicated, you're, uh, you're, you're not setting yourself up for success there in terms of composing a folk-like tune. So, you know, if you're familiar with like the, the pentatonic scale, for instance, that's a great scale to use mm. for composing folk songs. So many of the, the folk songs out there use that scale. But again, it's not about thinking about those notes and, and just pressing your fingers down on pentatonic notes. It's about getting the sound of it in your ear and singing a song that maybe uses those notes and, and creating lines that relate to one another. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Sure. If you take um, if you take a line like this, I'm going to use. Uh, let me let me see if you can hear this. Can you hear my my piano here? Yes. Yes. Okay. Great. So I'm going to play two examples of a line, and I want you to tell me which one sounds more like it's the end of a song. All right. Here's the first line, and then here's the second line. Right. So yeah, this the- one sounds like the end. I, I definitely have to say the second one does. Of course, right. And and the reason for that is because the second one ends on the tonic, ends on the one, or the first right. note of the scale. And the first line that I played ended on the five. And those two notes have different feels. They, they feel different. One has a little bit more resolution. One has a little bit more open-endedness or tension. And you can manipulate that when you're composing or creating these folk-like melodies. When you have a note like the root of a chord or the tonic or the, the first note of the scale, that's going to sound very much resolved versus anything else is going to sound less resolved. So that's what I'm talking about when I say creating a melody that has balance, where you have one line that maybe is more open-ended and then one line that is more closed, just like when you would ask a question and then receive an answer. All right, just taking a little break from today's show to talk to you about our flagship ebook, Zero to Improv. Zero to Improv is a book that teaches you how to become a great jazz improviser from the ground up. No stone is left unturned. This isn't your ordinary music book, Zero to Improv. It calls you to action. It's packed full of improv and jazz theory lessons. You'll start from the beginning and build up all of the skills and knowledge that you need to become a great jazz improviser. There's audio examples included for all of the music notation of the book, and versions are available for C, B-flat, E-flat, and bass clef instruments. It's designed for all skill levels. If you want to learn more about Zero to Improv, go to Zero to Improv. Dot com. That's www.zerotoimprov.com.
Now my, my brain's like bouncing everywhere from a lot of things you said. Uh, I, there's a few different records I want to go in, but first uh, let's, uh, let's back for a second to talk a little bit more about singing. You know, I, I think it was, I, I really was struck by the fact that you said it's all about this melody and it's all about being able to sing these melodies because, you know, I get emails all the time, people asking me, well, what scale do I play over this? Or, you know, how do I, you know, navigate this two, five, one, you know, what's a tritone substitution, all of these things. And what you're saying to me right now is focus on being able to sing a melody, Okay, now how do we? I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot here. How do we hear melodies? Because that's sort of a, another level right there. How do we start hearing melodies in our head? You know, we can't just come out of you know come out with these out of nowhere, right? Where do they come from? I'm not so sure. I mean, I I've been I've been doing this a long time in terms of teaching people how to do this, and whenever I get somebody to actually commit to singing something and just singing a simple line. You know, we've been listening to melodies our whole lives, whether it be mm-hmm. nursery rhymes or or the radio. So I think we have a, a natural inclination to how these melodies are supposed to go and and how to create something that has a beginning and an end. And if if you if you do need a little bit of uh, inspiration, I think looking to again folk melodies and and kind of getting that primed in your head, but also you know some some classical music is going to have melodies mm-hmm. that. Are, are laid out really clearly and you'll be able to hear, you know, that sort of call and response thing that I was talking about before. Um, and and I'll, I'd also like to mention that, you know, you were talking about how people are writing in asking about, you know, things about scales and modes and tritone substitution, all this crazy stuff. And, and I, I totally get that because I, I get the same yeah. questions, but you know, I, I think about, people who write songs that that go on the radio you know pop mm-hmm. songs and things like that because that's a that's a genre that I, I I live in sometimes when I'm writing for different um, different brands and when I listen to these songs you know I'm listening and I think wow there's some there's some great melodies here you know yeah I might not um, you know take it you know pick that over like a John Coltrane tune or something but uh, you know there are melodies on the radio that these pop to uh, these uh, these bands, these pop bands are writing, and I don't think they know what tritone substitution is. You know, they're not they're not like playing Cherokee at three hundred beats per minute, but they can write a great melody. And the reason for that yeah. is they're singing. They're singing these songs. They're singing with lyrics, and that actually makes me think think of something. If you are having a, a, a tough time coming up with a melody, put some like pretend lyrics in there. Take uh, you know, look oh, through a random yeah. Wikipedia page and like sing the uh, whatever words pop up on the page because when you start thinking about lyrics and words and things like that that can really help ground you in some concrete melody uh, generation right that's that's a great tip thanks for sharing that jeff you know and i'm also thinking at the same time i'm thinking about uh, I, I have a, a course uh, called 30 Days to Better Jazz Playing, and a lot of the students uh, comment one of the uh, assignments is to learn uh, Miles Davis' solo on uh, Freddie Freeloader off of the album Kind of Blue. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredibly simple and melodic, right? It, it's, it's almost as if he is uh, you know, playing a folk melody over top of uh, that blues form there. Uh, and that's that's something that everybody always, you know, comments to me about they're like i can't believe how simple this melody is that miles is playing and yet how it just floats over the form and it sounds so good uh, i i 
I think Miles is a great example of someone who just plays real beautiful, simple melodies like that. Would you agree with me? Absolutely. And that that solo is just amazing. And every time yeah. I listen to it, you know, it, like you said, it's a great example of uh, of some improvisation that is simple, but is also extremely effective and interesting to listen to. And and part of the part of the reason for that is is his phrasing is just unbelievable. The way he plays those right. notes. And that's also one of the benefits of, of approaching improvisation more compositionally because you know that might mean that you play more simple lines, especially at the beginning. And when you do play more simple lines and you don't have to worry about all of those fancy scales and the tritone substitution and whatnot, you really get to slow down and focus on the phrasing, which makes such a difference. I mean, you can take the same line and play it so many different ways. And if you really listen to that, that Freddie Freeloader solo, the uh, the phrasing that he uses is just amazing. Every time I listen to it, I yeah, hear something new. It's yeah, it's it's impeccable for sure. Um, and really, everybody on that album and that that song especially is just amazing. Um, and it's making me think a little bit about, uh, you know, how when we're you know some of our favorite songs, they're telling amazing stories. Or even if you think about uh, other arts like film, you know, our, some of our favorite films. I mean, they're obviously telling brilliant stories and there's a progression to those stories and so i i know that we should we should talk about this because we're talking about playing simply and uh you know phrasing and all this stuff a lot of times uh, some maybe more amateur improvisers are tempted to kind of come out of the gate just swinging right just go going for it uh and maybe forget about the development side about actually building and creating a solo. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that process and, and thinking like a composer in that way. For sure, for sure. Um, you know, when, when you start a solo, I think so much of, of getting a, a good start is, is developing your ideas. And a lot of times this is referred to as motivic development. But really what it is is writing a good melody from the get-go. And some really basic ways to start doing that I think the most effective word to keep in mind is repetition, is to repeat yourself. Mm. That doesn't mean you have to play something verbatim uh, the same way uh, multiple times, but to take an element from what you just played and repeat it. You know, I use this example a lot with my students taking, a, you know, this old classic. All right. Right? Minuet and G, right? Exactly. Minuet and G. And the, uh, the, the two phrases there had the same exact melody. Bump, 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 bump. But the notes and the pitches are obviously different. But that's a great example of using something that you used before. This, in this case, it's the rhythm. And then changing uh, another element, like the pitches. So, you know, you can repeat pitches. You can repeat rhythms. You can repeat um, the way you play something, like the phrasing or the articulation, you can repeat the shape of a line. You know, if the line goes up, you can play another line that goes up after that or down and down. There, excuse me, there are so many different ways of developing uh, a, a line that you play. And the, the main thing to remember is repetition. And you can't do this enough. I think one of the issues here is that when people repeat themselves, they they think that, well, they sound repetitive and boring. But the thing is, to a listener, if you repeat yourself, it gives the listener something to latch on to. It gives the listener to say, oh, I've heard that before. You know, I, I, I get this. Like, I understand what's happening. Now, if you're too repetitive, you, you get what I call uh, um, 
expectation syndrome. I, I don't call that actually. It's, I just made that up. But uh, you know, we'll <laughs> we'll call it that for now. So when I say expectation syndrome, I mean where you repeat yourself so much that the audience is like, oh, I know what uh, what you know this person's going to play next. It's the same with with uh, speech. You know, right. sometimes you hear somebody say the same story over and over again, and you kind of get it, and you know what they're going to say. Um, but at the same time, if you have too much surprise, which is kind of the opposite of expectation, then you you can lose the listener there. That's where you know maybe you're playing things that are too all over the place, and you don't have enough repetition. So you have to find the balance there of having sort of expectation on one hand and then some surprise on the other. And in order to create that expectation, you repeat yourself. And in order to create that surprise, you can you can break the um, the repetition. But that that word right there, break is very important because that's essentially breaking the pattern. You establish a pattern with repetition and then you break it to create the surprise. Well, and there's this idea, like if you've ever had a conversation with someone who uh, just is, you know, is a crazy talker, right? Won't leave space between what they're saying and they go from idea to idea. Uh, I'm thinking of a particular person um, (laughs) right now in my head that just like, I mean, really hard to follow this person and you know, it's a lot of interesting information there. I mean, they, they know a lot of stuff, but it's it's hard to follow. It's almost you feel exhausted when you're done that conversation and you haven't even hardly put in a word yourself. That's that I, you know, there's no repetition there. It's just kind of a, a barrage and assault of, of words. And we don't want our solos to be like that. And one other thing I'd add that you said, Jeff, is with repetition, you know, there's a difference between just repeating like, for example, uh, some more amateur improvisers as well become lick players sometimes. Like, you know, I learn a lick and that's good. That's a good part of your education to learn licks and, you know, try to build some vocabulary up. But then, you know, that idea of just, oh, every time a 251 comes up, I got this lick that I'm going to, this pet lick I'm going to come out and play with. You know, that's a, that's kind of like the bad repetition we're talking about. But the repetition you're talking about is, again, this motific development, this uh, taking a particular idea and morphing it to the different situations uh, that it's in, right? You know, just kind of building off of that. So, you know, repetition is great used in the right way. You know what I'm saying? For sure, for sure. And that's a that's a great point. You want to you want to shy away from seeing the same chord progression and then playing the same lick over it again and again. That's not the kind of repetition we're talking about, right? It's because uh, um, then it sounds forced. What's that? Then it sounds yes, forced. exactly. Then it sounds forced. Um, the, the nice thing about actually doing this approach where you are focusing on developing your ideas via repetition is you kind of get away from that, that lick mode because you're focusing on what you played before rather than the lick that you memorized three weeks ago. You're, you're staying in the moment more and you're actually making music that's more appropriate for the situation. Um, and, and more specifically, if you, if you play something and then you kind of sing back to yourself what you just played, that will help you create your next line so that it has to do mm-hmm. with the line you played previously. Um, sort of a, an analogy that I like to make is that that old game telephone where you something oh, yeah. in somebody's ear and then it, they whispered into the, the next person's ear and so on. And over time, the first phrase evolves and it evolves gradually. And you can kind of trace the progression from you know, point A to point Z. And if you think about developing a solo in that way, I think it can be very effective in creating something that where everything ties in together. Now, is there, uh, when you're thinking about 
taking a solo or, um, and again, tying this into even being a composer, is there an arc that you're thinking about? Like, is there a certain climax that you hit? Is there a part where you come down? Like, is, is there any of those elements you think about or not so much? Well, yes. I don't, I don't always think about one particular arc um, as in, um, you know, one with, with one real big climax and then the rest of it is like building mm-hmm. up towards that climax and then the rest of it is coming down from it. Um, what I usually think about is, am I staying in the same mode too long? And I'm not talking about like a scale mode like Mixolydian. I'm talking about like right. uh, the quiet mode or the loud, exciting mode. Uh, if you're in one mode or one um, one gear or something, like uh, if you're driving a car, if you're in one gear for too long, that's that's an example of too much expectation. So if you're ever talking to somebody and you feel like you're losing their attention, you might want to you know, speak up a little bit and get louder and then suddenly their eyes light up and they're back. Or maybe you, uh, you want to talk really quiet and then suddenly they're leaning in a little bit closer so that they can hear you better. Right. And those kinds of arcs where you're coming up dynamically and then going back down or playing more notes or playing fewer notes, that's what's going to bring people in. It's, it all comes back to that, that expectation and surprise. If you're doing the same thing for too long, you, uh, you, you get monotonous. But if you're changing it up too much, then you're all over the place. So in terms of that arc that you were talking about, I usually think about multiple arcs. I'm thinking, okay, do I feel like my audience is, is zoning out? Do I need to do something different here to create a more effective solo? Um, and, and that's kind of how I am crafting those, uh, those changes and those shifts in my playing. As we close out here, I'm just curious to hear maybe what some of your inspirations are in the jazz realm specifically as far as soloists that really you feel think in this mindset this compositional mindset yeah that's a great question um i think keith jarrett is an amazing developer i would agree i would agree yes Um, i'd also say joe pass and and the reason for that is Mm -hmm. well you know his music but also he uh I, i saw a video of him a long time ago where he he says something like um if you can't sing back what you just played, it probably wasn't worth playing in the first place. And uh, yeah. that, that really ties into to what we've been talking about today. Also, Charlie Parker, you know, even though he plays a ton of notes, and this is a great example for our conversation here because we've been talking about, you know, playing very simply and making these folk tunes. And then, you know, I don't want your listeners to think, oh, I don't want to be soloing, you know, playing folk tunes the whole time. But the, the right. thing is, once you're able to do that, then you can kind of graduate to another level where you're incorporating more notes while keeping that same um, that same level of of composition in your improvisation. And Charlie Parker is a great example. If you take a look at the at the tune Confirmation, for instance, you know that one. Oh yeah. Right, that line right there. Yep. Or that whole song rather has motivic development in it it's a little bit disguised you have to look for it but it's in there um you know so that i don't know if that's going to cross with my uh you know less than great singing here but um if you if if you examine that melody you're going to find little bits and pieces that are repeated over and over again and that that could be another uh you know a a more in-depth conversation for a later date but uh you know, sure. even Charlie Parker, who's playing a million notes per minute, is developing his lines, and there is composition within his solos. 
and I think that's a great uh, that's a great point because I don't want people to be thinking oh, I don't want, you know that they have to that they have to play folk songs in their solos. It's not the case. It's just you have to be able to do that before you go to the next level of incorporating more notes. Right, and I think that that's a great assignment for this week. If any listeners want to take up on that challenge, is uh, go listen to Confirmation by Charlie Parker. And listen to just the melody and see what you can find in there that that is repeating itself, this motivic development, and then even go further into his solo and try to identify uh, how he's developing that solo, even in that, of course, intense bebop sense. Uh, That's a great assignment uh, to do. Uh, And Jeff, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, you just gave us, I mean, an incredible amount of value, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Is there anywhere we can send listeners today to go check more of you out? Sure, definitely. You can check out my YouTube channel where I do a bunch more instruction and and play some of my music. That's youtube.com slash Jeff Schneider Music. Awesome. I also have my website, jeffschneidermusic.com, and... uh, Instagram, Jeff Schneider Music, and I think my Twitter is Jay Schneid's Music randomly, but uh, I think that that should keep everybody out there busy enough. Definitely YouTube and uh, and the website for, for the latest, as well as Instagram. Awesome. Everybody go check out Jeff's YouTube channel and all of his social media. Uh, and Jeff, again, thank you so much for being on the show today. We hope to have you back soon. It was a real pleasure. Thanks so much, Brent. All right, that is all for today's show. I want to thank you so much for listening. And remember, you can find today's show notes at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 65. And you can find a link to Jeff's website and his YouTube channel there. And I got so much value at today's show just from talking to Jeff. I hope you got a lot of value too. And if you continue to listen to this podcast, there's plenty more where that came from. Plenty more guests coming your way, sharing their expertise Uh, Really excited and be sure to come back next time. Remember, if you got value out of this episode, go to iTunes, leave us a rating and review or whatever podcast listening service you use, leave us a rating and review that really helps us out. Be sure if you've never become a part of our jazz community, sign up at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter. Join our jazz community. We'd love to have you. Now, next week, we're going to be coming out with episode 66. I look forward to seeing you back then. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.